what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. After a weekend off, I'm back at it for a Labor Day weekend packed full of flat track racing. It all starts tonight in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I'll be calling the action on Facebook Live once again for Harley-Davidson at the Flat Out Friday event to celebrate 115 years of motorcycles. From there, I'll head to Springfield, Illinois for back-to-back days of AFT Grand National events. Saturday will be the Springfield Short Track, an event which Steve Nace and AFT partner to bring fans a day packed with short track racing. Look for last year's winner and current points leader Dan Bromley to shine again this year. If the track is loose, look for riders like Michelin Wells to contend for the win. With nine winners in 14 races, I wouldn't be surprised to see a new rider such as Oliver Brindley or Corey Texter atop the box. Then on Sunday, just a few hundred feet from the short track, we'll head to the iconic Springfield Mile for the 100th running of the historic event. The Kisos have managed to score another flat track legend, securing Scott Parker, 14-time Springfield Mile winner, as the Grand Marshal for their fall race. Of course, everyone will be looking for Meeson Smith to run up front. The veterans normally shine at Springfield. Fast bikes are one thing, but this is a track where your experience really pays off. That said, Carver did win here in the spring, and several other riders like Johnson, Fisher, Coolbeth, Wiles, Shoemaker, Coase, and the Bauman brothers have steadily been improving their positions with more seat time on their respective Indians. Look for factory Harley riders Van Decoy, Halbert, and Robinson, who is returning this week, to improve their finishing positions as well. The team has identified and resolved the overheating issues that plagued them in May. C.V. Bonzi will also be returning riding the Ducati, and Jesse Janish will be piloting an Indian motorcycle in his first AFT Twins race of the season. It will be interesting to see how they both fare this Sunday. I'm really having a hard time picking a winner for this one. My heart says cool, Beth, but with Carver's win in the spring, Mises' dominance in 2018, and Brian Smith's confidence, my gut could easily be swayed. We decided to put in a call to the Piper earlier this week for his insight. While we weren't surprised by his pick, we did learn a few things about the former champion. Let's hear from the one and only Brian Smith. Hello? Yo. Who's the, is this the NBCSN color analyst, Brian Smith? <laughs> the rookie analyst, Brian Smith. <laughs> the rookie analyst. Man, I haven't seen you since uh, Rapid City. Are you doing all right? Yeah, I'm good, man. Uh just uh, recuperating and uh, training and getting ready to win the Springfield Mile. You, you seem pretty confident about that. I know. I know. Uh, we've had a lot of feedback from what you uh, texted me before the the last <laughs> podcast, and and people are wondering why why are you so confident about that race? Uh well, I mean, I've won it. I think more than anybody that's currently racing it. So there's no reason why I shouldn't be confident. It's kind of like while I was going to Peoria. When you want it more than the rest of the guys you're racing, it's hard not to be confident, even though I got beat in the spring there. Uh, I don't think there's no reason why I can't can't win it again. Uh, I know my team's working hard. All the guys in Indianapolis are working hard on the bike. So I think I'll have uh, the best bike, and I think I'm the best rider at Springfield. All right. I love it. So let's get to know Brian Smith a little bit, and then we'll talk more about racing. So you grew up in Flint, Michigan. Does that make you an honorary member of the Michigan Mafia, or how does that work out? Oh, I mean, you're born into it. There's a lot of people in the Michigan Mafia, guys that you probably heard of, Scotty, but most of the people in the country don't know. Guys that I grew up chasing, they never uh, never made it as pros that you're kind of all 
all born into the mafia. But for me personally, it was winning the Grand National Championship is kind of where I felt like I earned my keep. Um, I know Parker and Springer kind of always took me in, but uh, until you're on their level with the championship, it doesn't feel like uh, as a racer myself that I earned my keep. So I was happy to to earn that club of Flint, Michigan uh, Grand National Champions. Yeah, I think, you know, 30 Grand National wins definitely would, would put you on that list too, though. Yeah, but like I said, in my own personal uh, bucket list, checklist, it was winning that championship. I mean, won a lot of races, won, won uh, a bunch of different races on different brands, but for me personally, it was winning that championship that uh, got me got me my personal keep in my own book. I love it. We'll get into that championship a little bit later on. Let's talk about how you got involved in motorcycles. I know your dad went to school a little bit with Scotty Parker. How did you start riding motorcycles? Yeah, you know, my dad rode, uh, went to school with Scotty when they were young. Uh, probably about the time Scott was just uh, letting the world know he was going to be the best flat tracker. You know, when, when he was 17, my dad kind of knew about that. And his cousins uh, were so friends, which were kind of famous in flat track in Michigan. And, you know, one thing led to another. I come along and I was five, six years old, started racing BMX bicycles and then got the famous Weisinger little. 50 that uh probably most of the country started out riding on you know at that point rode a little bit remember going to some baseball diamonds around uh around flint michigan and ripping up the baseball diamonds on this little 50 getting sideways and i'm sure the sure the school staff didn't like that when they showed up on monday and there was this short track in the baseball (laughs) diamond but that's where i cut my teeth and it's pretty cool now to think about uh literally in the heart of flint michigan getting sideways on a baseball diamond uh, you know, and around that same time, I was kind of introduced to Scott Parker. He was the Camel Pro champion, which was on ESPN. And, and I was basically brainwashed. Uh, you know, you go over your dad's buddy's house and here he is on TV the next week winning the hundred thousand dollar Camel Pro check and spraying champagne. I was, uh, I was <laughs> pretty destined in my own mind. And that was what I wanted to do when I grew up and knock on wood, I made it, made it to that point. So there was no doubt about it that you wanted to race flat track. Yeah, my parents even took me when I, you know, kind of got into the point where I was going to race when I was about seven. They took me to the local motocross track and took me to the local pro flat track. Uh, at that time, I think they had one at Lake Odessa, Michigan. Actually, no, we went down to Lima, Ohio. was one of the first ones I went to and uh, there in Springfield. And yeah, like I said, I was brainwashed. I didn't didn't know anything else. That's all I wanted to, wanted to do. I didn't even think motocross was cool at the time. I was all about flat track. I love it. Do you remember the first time you rode a motorcycle? Uh, no, I don't remember the first time I rode a motorcycle. Exactly. I remember I remember riding a 50 quite a bit different places, kind of like <laughs> tucking in on the 50 on a half mile. It's like watching paint dry, I'm sure, for everybody else. But <laughs> really cool. Really cool for me. And uh, I do remember my first trip to Springfield, watching and walking the pits and meeting the guys and uh also I remember walking up to uh turn four at Lima for the first time, you know, the same year when I was like seven years old, walk up to the fence and here comes Moorhead off the hay bales, number forty two. And uh, you know, at this time I was watching the guys on ESPN. So it was like surreal seeing seeing Steve Moorhead sideways, the Finley flyer, the whole crowd was cheering for him. It was like I was in a movie, you know. So after my parents did that to me, I was hooked. I had to be a flat track racer. <laughs> 
So, so absolutely. So you you mentioned Steve Moorhead. Is 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 he the reason you ran the the forty two plate? Um, a little bit. You know, I was eighty four from a lot of my amateur years, and eighty four X when I was a rookie expert. And uh, at the time, I was riding for FNS Harley, um, Gary Stolzenberg down there in Dayton, Ohio. And Moorhead had just retired, and uh, they were helping me. And I was number eighty four X, got my national number, and it seemed only uh, fitting to kind of take the old, you know, the old got old rider's number. And then it was half a eighty four was forty two, and it was uh, kind of a legendary number with Steve Moorhead having it for so long and winning so many races. So. Heck yeah, it was uh it was an honor to run that number and at, for a while there I joked that it was cursed because it wasn't shortly after I got number forty two I started losing all my hair and uh, ended <laughs> up with the same haircut as Steve Moorhead so I told him it was in that number. <laughs> That's a good one. I I never even thought about that. So do you remember your first Grand National win? Uh, according to the the media guide, it is a short track at Daytona and you won that on a Honda. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it was the first year that they ran two nationals that there at the municipal stadium, you know, typically the first night was a hot shoe regional, whatever you want to call it. And the next night was a national. And uh, a couple of years before that, I had won the hot shoe and then got second or third at the national. So this is the first year that I was able to go down there, win it and uh, celebrate it, you know, as a national win. And oh, I remember it was uh, once again, one of those things, it's almost like when you're sitting on the podium, like you think you're going to wake up and it's all a dream. And uh, I still remember like it was yesterday, man. It was uh, one of those things you just finally feel like relief that you uh, all the hard work you put in through your through your whole life, essentially, that it paid off. Do you still have that trophy? Oh, yeah. Yep. Actually, I got quite a few from Daytona. I only won first place. But uh, in the midst of moving, I just had all my Daytona trophies lined up. And it was pretty cool because they always have pretty unique trophies back then at the Missile Stadium where they're kind of this glass, crystal-looking pyramid. So, oh yeah, I still got uh, got almost all of them that I won. That's awesome. So, how and when were you coined the mile specialist? Do you remember how that came about? No, I don't exactly know how that came about. Um, probably some some of yourself, Scotty, preaching that to the to the crowd, and people call me the mile master, the mile specialist, and um, I'm not going to argue it, but I don't really call myself that. Um, when you guys, when when my neighbor Scott Parker with you know fifty some mile wins, uh, it's hard to dub yourself the mile master. But uh, I'll take it for now as being one of the better mile racers in on the circuit currently. So do you like being called that, or would you rather be called something else? Oh, I've been called a lot worse, so I'll take a mile <laughs> master all day. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. No, it's so, fine. It's uh, I don't mind it. Uh, it's uh, it is what it is, and. You know, when I got some of the guys I got to beat calling me the mile master, it's, uh, it gives me a little even more confidence going in there because I know they're worried about it. We, we talked a little bit ago in, in 30 Grand National wins. Did you ever think when you started racing flat track that you'd win 30 Grand Nationals? Heck no. I never thought I'd win uh, more than a couple. Uh, you know, I had a little bit of success early when I turned pro and then it kind of, I kind of went stale and was building my own Harleys and, uh, you know, just doing the flat track grind that wears, wears a lot of guys out and basically wears you down into retirement. And, you know, I kind of kept just chugging along and got the right help and shoot. Even when I met, you know, Ricky Howerton and the guys in Indianapolis, 
you know, I think I only had uh, maybe like seven or eight wins or something. And in the short amount of time that I've known those guys, you know, made it up to 30. And no, I never thought, to make a long story short, I never thought that uh, I would have 30 of them. Uh, especially looking back when I was a kid thinking about Parker winning his 40th at the time and thinking it's just unreal. How can one guy win 40 national races? Obviously he went on to win 90 some, but uh, even as myself looking at it now, it's crazy to even hear you say that and definitely thankful for uh, all 30 of them. There's been a couple that were uh, hard fought, no doubt. So you you brought up Ricky Howard Tennant and he's kind of, kind of behind the scenes guy he's really really quiet he always thinks i'm ignoring him but every time i walk past him he's super super intense and he's always working on your bikes so tell us a story about how you met ricky howerton how you started working and, and riding for him oh it's a it's a pretty pretty cool story because it almost didn't happen and if i wouldn't have met ricky he wouldn't have been part of flat track um you know he's a flat track fan grew up uh in indianapolis you know racing sprint cars working his dad's indy car shop and when he was a kid, he met the Honda factory guys that were based out of Indianapolis, two doors down from his dad's shop, and met those guys, got introduced to Bubba Schobert and Ricky Graham and Flat Track, and then went about his life and went on to college and uh, did the normal normal uh, teenager, early early adult life. Got away from racing, come back to racing, uh, or I shouldn't say racing, got, got back to his dad's shop, started running it, him and his brother, and... Uh, hey, we're going to go check out the Indy Mile. And at that time, I was riding for Bill Warner on the Kawasaki. And, wow, there's another another engine that's competitive uh, besides the Harley XR750. Kawasaki just happened to win. It was me riding it. And, uh, you know, the first time a Kawasaki didn't ride on national. So he decided he's going to build a street bike. So fast forward to a couple years later, he builds a street bike, Kawasaki, that looks like a flat track bike. And he has it there in Indianapolis. And, Lo and behold, uh, Jeff Gordon, who's another intricate part of my team, is up here in Flint, Michigan for an ice race. Hey, come check out my buddy's street bike down in Indianapolis when you come down there next time. And, and I fight a dollar for every time I heard that. Usually the sports team <laughs> with some cobbled up pipes and a number plate on it. So I wasn't real too excited about seeing this guy's street street tracker, street bike, because I didn't know what it was, obviously. And I just thought it was some packed up uh like I said, sports are with ape hangers on it. So anyways, uh, I go and check out Jeff Gordon, meet him in Indianapolis, and he takes me off me into Howard's and Products, you know, where they build all the IndyCar and NASCAR stuff. And there's this beautiful, uh, you know, bike that I ended up racing in 2012. And this is February of 2012. First time meeting Ricky, walk in. He had his bicycle sitting there. So we started talking about the bicycle as much as the uh, motorcycle, because I'm, rides bicycles quite a bit and you know i appreciated what he had uh done with this kawasaki and it was kind of mind blown you know like i said i built my own bikes and went and raced and even won nationals so to see the workmanship that somebody else put into building a bike from scratch including the frame swing arm and every damn thing on it it was pretty amazing and i think he's seen that i appreciated it and kind of got it because i've been around it long enough and built enough of my own stuff that I couldn't do that. So I appreciated it. He appreciated me as a rider. And next thing you know, I said, man, you ever thought about racing that thing? And he thought I meant like him racing it. And I was thinking, no, let me race it. And, uh, <laughs> so with, with him introducing, uh, the Crosley guy to myself and an opportunity to get into flat track, Ola Masses at Crosley kind of made it all happen. And 
you know, Ricky got Jeff Gordon uh, to maintain the engine. At the time, Skip Eakin was still alive, and he kind of was an intricate part, too, of making it all happen because he uh, was building a Kawasaki engine at the time. So he built it. Ricky got Jeff Gordon to help, and uh, Ron Glidden, who are still part of the, the Howerton Motorsports team. And, bam, we went to the first race and led, I think, probably 20 of the 25 laps of the main event, the first go-around at Springfield in 2012. And, Coming off turn four, I thought I had it in the bag, and I said, man, I'm going to run low and break the draft. I think these guys are setting me up to, to draft me at the line. And lo and behold, I go to break the draft and spin the thing sideways, and Willie McCoy goes by me to win the race, and I end up third that day after leading the whole race in the maiden voyage in the Collerton Motorsports Kawasaki. So it was almost a fairy tale uh, to win the first race, but unfortunately we didn't get it done. I screwed that one up. But luckily, a few weeks later, we went to Sacramento and won, so it was pretty cool to have a guy that built a street bike didn't know anything about having a race team a few months later to win a grand national race it was uh could be a movie i'm telling you <laughs> yeah that that's awesome backstory i didn't know all that uh you know how, how you met him and how you got jeff gordon involved and and everybody there in indianapolis it's good stuff so i think to to cap off the the ricky howerton story let's talk about the 2016 season you win your first grand national championship how special was it for you with the help of Ricky and, and Jeff Gordon, the, the guys you just talked about it? Tell us about the 2016 season. Yeah, I mean, you know, going back to winning the 30 races, uh, a lot of a lot of that came during the time uh, with Ricky, Jeff, Ron, Ron Glidden, who, who goes by Dink. Um, you know, those three guys, with the help of Bola Massis and the Crosley Company, uh, man, it wouldn't be possible at all, any of the wins. So I'm thankful for all those guys for hours and hours of hard work and being a complete pain in the ass as a rider. And then listening to every demand I got and fixing it and making the bike uh, what was essentially the 2016 bike that kicked everyone's butt and won the championship. And, you know, like I mentioned before, it was kind of like the finally a huge uh, monkey off my back checklist in my book to earn my keep in the Michigan Mafia and then also – to give it to those guys, uh, you know, who worked as hard, if not harder than I did to fight for the championship, to, uh, do everything it took to win races. And it was kind of my repayment for them to celebrate. Hey, they're part of, you know, they'll go down in history now as a uh, grand national champion mechanics and team owners. And, you know, it's, uh, it was just as cool for me to give that to them as it was to get it for myself. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. And congratulations. I don't know if we ever, if I ever t- told you that or not, I'm sure I have, but man, congratulations on winning the championship. Um, let's talk about switching over to Indians in, in 2017, then you're still in the Indian in 2018. How big of a change was it from going to the Kawasaki to the Indian? Uh, it was definitely um, definitely a little bit of a change. You know, the uh, the bikes kind of feels more like an XR750 than it does a Kawasaki, and I spent, you know, five years consecutively on the Kawasaki, so I was a little bit of rewinding and regrouping for me as a rider, just kind of changing the way you ride, the style you ride, the lines you take, the lines you can't take um, that you could on the Kawasaki, so uh, not that it's better or worse, it's just uh, different, and you know, I kind of got uh, got rolling there at the beginning of 2017, got some wins, four in a row, I believe, and then uh, then slowly started to get my butt kicked by Jared the rest of the year, and uh didn't like that, you know. Uh, he stepped his game up, and we kind of stayed, stayed stale and ended up second in the championship, so I was kind of bummed 
couple of those races where I should have been able to really give him a fight and uh, couldn't, just didn't. Or when I tried to go to that next level, I crashed and uh, just didn't didn't work out and thought we were a little better regrouped going into 2018 and had some decent runs. And then there at Texas, third, what was that, the third round on crash and caused a demolition derby pile up with all the guys. And Stevie Bonzi goes, you know, to the moon and back and breaks his ankle. And I break my leg and Jake Johnson goes through the middle one and two. So it was uh, not a good start to the 2018 season. And, you know, we came back, had some podiums, second, thirds, but uh, still haven't been able to get that win. Pretty, pretty pumped. So I want to get it done at Springfield next weekend. Yeah, we just got a you know a few more races left. But uh, so you sat out probably five races after your injury, including this last race at Peoria. You were the color analyst on NBCSN at the Buffalo Chip. What else have you been doing since you have, you know, while you set out? I know you watch the races because you text me during the races and ask me questions and give me a hard time when I when I mess up. But <laughs> what else do you do when, when you're not racing? Uh, you know, I've been into the bicycle thing for a while, and I've really uh, got into the mountain bike thing more so. I use that as, as both training and also therapy for life. Uh, it's great to get out in the woods of Michigan. I ride with my buddy Pat Buchanan, who is an ex-Grand National Racer, too. He's one of my best friends, training partners, so we go out mountain biking, you know, three times a week and actually going to go later later today after we get off the phone. And I do that a lot. Um, gym time, you know, three days a week, mountain bike three days a week. Been in the middle of moving, um, which is a complete pain in the ass. I don't recommend it to anybody. If you got a decent <laughs> home, do not move because uh, you realize how much junk you collect and that you don't need. Uh, so that's kept me busy the last month or so, the, the moving, training, and then uh, obviously racing in between, watching uh, watching you on Fans' Choice when I'm out there, Scotty. I love it. I love it when you text me and, and give me predictions. I think you called out when Ryan Wells won, and and I love it when you reach out to me. It's good stuff uh, for me to have something else to talk about. You know, during you know all the all the words that come out of my mouth at every Grand National. So I appreciate it. So this weekend coming up is going to be the Springfield Mile Two. It's the 100th running of the Springfield Mile race. You reached out to me and said that you're pretty confident in winning this race. So how important is Springfield and how important would it be to get the, the win, you know, the, a win and get the monkey off your back? It's been a little bit of a dry spell. Uh, last win was, you know, Springfield May of last year. Yeah, I mean, not only is Springfield always cool, but being that it's the 100th running, um, man, some of the old pictures that pop up uh, that AFT has been sharing of, you know, Springfield 1920 or 1912 or whatever the heck it was. It's just unbelievable to see it. And there's the same grandstands and these guys with the leather helmet on going probably way too fast for having a leather helmet on. <laughs> and, uh, so it just <laughs> makes you feel like uh, you're part of, I mean, you're part of history, especially when it's uh, the 100th running. So anytime I go to Springfield, I want to win. But being that it's the 100th, kind of, you know, there's a few things. It's the 100th. So you want to win it. I haven't won in a while. I want to win it. Springfield's really cool. I want to win it. So it's a lot of, I want to, I want us in that sentence, but so I just got to get it done and win that thing. Yeah. Also your, your buddy, Scotty Parker is going to be the grand marshal. So it, you know, there's just so many more reasons for you to win this race. Yeah. Actually one of the times I won Sacramento, I got to take Scotty on the victory lap. So maybe it'll be that time again. I can get that win and he don't go to very many of them. So I better, better make it count when he's there and, drag him around on the victory lap and let him hold the checkered flag one more time. Like he didn't do it enough in his own career. Right. He, he doesn't know what a victory lap's about. I mean, he's only, he only did that like 94 <laughs> times. Yeah. Yeah. No big deal. 
Yeah, exactly. So I got, uh, you know, after this race, this, the Springfield race, we have, you know, a couple other miles and then, um, you know, wrapping up the season already, are, are you going to win the last three out of the four races? Are you going to win the last four races or are you just race by race? What do you, what do you focus on right now for the rest of the year? Um, you know, that was part of the reason I'm skipping Peoria is my ankle is, uh, pretty good. And I want to keep it that way. And I know if I was a twisted at Peoria, I'd be limping into these last uh, four holes. With that being said, I think I can win any, any one, if not all, four of those uh, last holes. I mean, I've won half miles. I've won miles. Uh, we had a good, real good run at Rapid City going. I thought I was in contention to win that and lost my brakes, kind of put a damper on things, but still able to get third. So, you know, if I can ride uh, ride Williams Grove as good as I rode Rapid City, I think I can be a threat to win. And obviously the miles, I love those. Uh, I think I can uh, win any of those, especially Springfield. So yeah, I'm ready, man. I want to want to go out on a high note for sure on this season. Does it help going to a new racetrack? I mean, you've got some, you know, some of the smartest guys in the pit area, but so does Jared. You know, Jared's got Kenny Tolbert in his notebook. So we're going to Minnesota. We raced there a long time ago. Maybe not very many notes to fall back on. We're going to the Meadowlands, a new racetrack. Uh, Williams Grove is only the second year. Um, does it help going to a new racetrack or just kind of even out the playing field a little bit? Um, I, I don't know that it uh, changes things too much. Um, if anything, I'm probably, I can probably adapt to stuff a little bit quicker than some of the guys. But like you said, the guy that's usually the guy to beat the last year and a half has been Jared. And uh, he's also good at adapting uh, with, with him and his crew. Uh, you know, mostly Kenny Tolbert, like you said, has got a deep notebook. So he walks in and I think, you know, takes a bite out of the racetrack and knows what page to go to in his notebook sometimes and has it sorted out for Jared before he even gets on the bike. So, uh, you know, that being said, is uh, I think I got a shot at winning any of these races, but uh, Jared's not going to let me have it, that's for sure. Absolutely not. He's not letting anybody Let have win. It very easy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. I was gonna say he's not letting anybody have anything. He's trying to win more yeah. races in one year than anybody ever has. So he's super focused right now. Uh, kind of a random question here, but a lot of riders will ride non-nationals and nationals. Uh, for most of your career, you've only rode the Grand Nationals. Uh, why is that? Um, well, I used to do more of them when I was younger and doing stuff on my own and uh, you know bouncing around the country and van leap sleeping on uh buddies couches and kind of doing the whole the whole uh circus i like to call it and there's a lot to be gained by doing some of the non-nationals or some money to be made but when you're uh building your own xr 750s and you're going and racing them every single weekend they like to break and uh, i just got tired of fixing my own bikes and the money that you'd make one week at an outlaw race uh, you'd spend it the next week at an outlaw race because you'd crash or blow up and had a long career. So um, I used to do them. I just don't do them anymore because typically uh, there's no, no, very little benefit, I should say. Um, you know, uh, I'm better off renting a track and testing something as opposed to racing a lot of times because uh, you can learn more, get more laps and whatnot, where that law races are normally limited laps and uh, sometimes the payoff isn't, isn't worth the risk. 
All right. I appreciate the answer on that one. I know, you know, like a lot of promoters are asking why the Raiders don't show up. And, and I get it. Somebody that, you know, you've been a pro since 99, so it's not like you need any more seat time. But uh, I just wanted to hear it directly from you. So uh, we're at the part of the episode where it's called Graham's Question. You know, Graham, it's Kathy Dubler, my grandma. She said it's kind of a two-part yep. question. It's a two-part question. She said you sat out a good chunk of the races this year due to injuries. Uh, how hard is it to watch from the sidelines? <laughs> It uh, it sucks. It sucks watching from the sidelines, and uh, that was one reason why I didn't go to Peoria. I watched it on Fans Choice, and even some of the other ones I had to sit out because uh, it's painful enough, and I miss it enough when I'm having to watch it on Fans Choice, let alone watching it in person. Uh, even the Buffalo Chip, even though I'm not a, a fan of the TT races as much as the rest, but uh, it was still painful to even watch the Buffalo Chip when I was there doing the NBC commentating. Uh, it was it was no fun, man. I miss it, and uh, I'm a racer. I want to race, so it's tough. It's uh, <laughs> I, I I don't trust myself enough to go and watch them if I'm not supposed to race. That's why I got to stay at home. Because one way or another, I'd be borrowing others and steel shoe, and I'd be out there in my in my uh, blue jeans and steel shoe bolted on my Nike or something. <laughs> I get it, man. I get it. <laughs> uh, so the second part of her question. Do you ever stop and think about how, how much longer you're going to race? You know, you had an entry this year. Does that affect your decision on how long you're going to race at the Grand National level? Um, you know, a little bit. A lot of people used to do it, you know. And, uh, you know, sitting out some races, everybody thought, oh, you're going to you retire? Is that why is this your last year? I'm like, heck no. I got, uh, I got some more races to win. And I want to, uh, you know, make another bid at the Grand National Championship. And, even though I'm one of the older racers now, and after Coolbeth retires, I think I will be the oldest, uh, which is crazy for me to even say that or think that. But it is what it is. But uh, the, I mean, you can you can take some of the veterans of the sport. You know, me and Jared been first or second in the, the points for a long time here, and uh, we're still some of the more physically fit racers out there. Even though we're some of the older ones, uh, so I don't think there's nothing in flat track that. Uh, I'm missing being an older rider. Um, if anything, it's better because I got more experience. So I could see uh, two more, two more, three more, depending on how it goes the next couple of years, uh, full seasons. But I'd still like to, no matter what happens after a few years, whether it's one or three, whatever full-time seasons uh, come back part-time to the Springfield miles and some of the, uh, you know, like Rapid City half mile. It'd be fun. I always thought to roll up after retirement and uh, kind of do a Willie McCoy. You're not doing the whole season, but you show up to Springfield and ruin everybody's day and just win the race and go home laughing with your family. So uh, yeah. I always thought that'd be fun. And I wouldn't mind doing that one day after retirement. So definitely full time for a couple more years and then uh, part time after that. I love it. So it's the end of the episode where we get our rapid fire questions. I want you to tell me the first thing that pops into your mind. So the first question is, what is the favorite your favorite bike that you've ever ridden? Ricky Howerton's Kawasaki. All right. What is your favorite track? Sacramento or Indy, Indy Mile or Sacramento? It's a toss up. Okay. You 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 shined at both of them, so I understand why. Um, why are you number four? Bar Markle. He is the original Godfather of the Michigan Mafia, and uh, he was number four when I first got introduced to him. All right. Where's your 2015 X Games gold medal at right now? Uh, in the safe in my basement because when I moved, I had realtors coming in and out, out of my house. I didn't really want them to see it hanging there and it to uh, come up missing. So it's locked in the safe in my basement currently. What's the combination? 
I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll um, email it to you, Scotty. Okay, sounds good. So, do you like to recycle? The rumor has it there's a big push for you going green next year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I worked in environment in this country, this great country, all racers should go green in 2019. Okay. We have three miles left and one half mile. How many races are you going to win at the end of the year? I'd say at least 50% of them. All right. So who gets the victory lap on Sunday? Man, I don't know. It's going to be a toss-up. It's been so long. Everybody might want to get on there. Uh, might need a trailer for that one. Uh, I don't know. I'll let those guys fight it out and sort it out. But if nobody's stepping up, I'll grab, like I said, I'll grab my buddy Scotty Parker and drag him around for another one. That's awesome. Brian Smith, I appreciate the time. You've been a friend of mine uh, ever since I met you. Uh, it's good good to see you when you're on the racetrack. I hated hated you missing a few rounds this year, but uh, best of luck in the last four races this year and uh, wish you much success in the future. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, it's been fun. I was just thinking, man, we've been friends since we were running over in the racetrack. That's how old I am. I had to race you at one time. Man, that, that's when everything was black and white. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we didn't even have suspension or no brakes, man. That was oh, exactly. Was yeah, no brakes, <laughs> no brains, leather helmets, you know. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right, man. Brian, 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 thanks a lot for the time, Brian. We'll see you soon. Yeah, no worries. Anything for you guys. Take it easy. Later. Thanks again to Brian taking time to chat with us here on Off the Groove. I've known him for a while now, but I even learned a few things myself from that conversation. I want to thank you fans as well. We hope you enjoyed listening to these episodes as much as we enjoy making them. Smash that like button and continue to spread the word. We'll talk to you next Friday, recap the Labor Day weekend, and preview Williams Grove.